Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and this is the Future of Work 2, Workplace Tech Leadership with the Future Proofing Now, Season 1, Episode 9, B. And in just a minute, we'll get started with the conversation, but in the meantime, wanted to let you know where you are. I'm Andrea Cates, and my collaborator in crime is Sean Moffat. We'll be joined today by Jacob Bates, Bill O'Connor, and Rachel Permuth, and we'll be talking about the future of work and how we'll tackle these tough dualities. We'll have the fors and againsts. There's also an advanced poll question and we would love for you to fill out the poll while you're waiting. And <laughs> Misalignment on priorities and silo mentality is coming up strong. So let me go ahead and kick us off. First of all, I'm, as I said, I'm Andrea Cates and I'm joined by our community manager, Joanne, and Sean Moffitt, who's my collaborator in Future Proofing Next, all things Future Proofing Next. And what we'll talk about today is, first of all, the graphic that blew up on the internet. So Sean, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about this future of work, the big picture, the feedback that we've gotten from the community and also the notion of what it is that you think has really made this, this graphic so damn popular on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you know what, things, I cannot explain things that go live and crazy on social media. Cats falling off TVs and graphics about future of work apparently. Um, I think on this topic, I, I think we've got a juicy one from a couple of different perspectives. One, uh, it's important to business. It's also important to our agenda of innovation and transformation. People will eat strategy for breakfast, right? And so I think people realize that and want to figure out how to do it. Um, on this graphic, um, I'm not too sure. I think uh, people love to know that there's a full universe of stuff out there to explore before they actually dive in and focus on something. So maybe, maybe that's part of the appeal, Andrea. Well, I also think that it's good for us to talk a little bit about, since what we are doing is, is building a community here. And one of the things that's so, in, so interesting and I think so important is that uh, this isn't just what Sean and Andrea think. This is a lot about starting to plant some seeds as far as what the community cares about. Uh, this, this hour, we'll be talking about leadership, technology, and the workplace, all of which suffer tremendously from misunderstandings and myths. But Sean, would you talk a little bit about this in new initiative and what we have in terms of the goals and participation from some of the people on today, as well as other people that we'll meet with? Yeah, I thought it was important enough to put this. We usually put our kind of uh, kind of stuff that we're either selling, promoting, or doing at the uh, the back of our decks. But I thought on this one, since this is the topic, and we're about to embark on a foresight safari, if you will, with a global collective of. I imagine 30 different people around the world that are really passionate about the topic. Um, one stat for me that rang out when, as we prepared for this webcast, only 9% of CHROs believe that their company has figured out the whole future of work and what that means for their company. That to me suggests there's a lot of fodder for more learning, more foresight, and therefore we're, uh, we're gonna conduct a four to six month kind of foresight so far that hopefully leads to something really interesting on the back end of it. Well, it's great about this too is, and I just do need to, to mention that we spelled behaviors with a U in deference to Sean, our Canadian. And uh, it also is a, it's a global effort. We are really excited about how many people from different continents um, are 
part of this growing community. And so to that end, uh, we'll be doing a kickoff in lots of different time zones, including my favorite one is like two o'clock in the morning. So um, Sean, do you want to explain the notion of this future of work uh, kickoff? Yeah, I mean, essentially, if you're doing a global project, let's be clear, anybody in Australia usually gets the short end of the stick of it, just they end up being in the wrong hour of the world, I guess. But um, on November 28th, we will kind of bring together the group of people that want to move forward on this. And hopefully, it's not us, it's, it's everybody collaborative together. Uh, we'll hopefully hear some thoughts and opinions in terms of how we want to steer this. Um, but we do three massive research projects like this every year. This will be the first one out of the gate for 2020. Well, now, thanks for all of that, Sean, because as he said that we usually do that at the end, but this is really about building community now. And as we set the stage with the people that are going to be our panelists, we wanted to let everybody know that we're hoping that all of your voices are part of what we learn and discover. And later on, we'll do a, a pitch for the book that, well, we call it the not a book that Sean and I are writing together that is a, a guide for the perplexed, you know, people who need to figure out we're actually... Uh, a little bit beyond innovation. So we're calling it the future beyond innovation because we feel like we've entered a new era and it's kind of crept up on us. So we'll set the groundwork with a conversation and at the end we'll talk a little bit about some next steps that we hope everyone on today can, can pay attention to and be part of. So first I'd like to introduce three very fabulous people. Uh, they're people that we know from lots of different walks of life including having worked with pretty much all of them in different ways. Uh, Jacob Bates, who I believe is a visionary and a pioneer, and we don't say that about a lot of people. He has rethought because of his background, both from being on the side of the table at Nike and CBRE in terms of you know, the corporate real estate mindset and really understanding that side of the world, what's, what's missing and what needs to happen. And then going ahead and pioneering forward as the CEO of Common Grounds, uh, this notion of workplace as a service. So first, we'll just let you say hi. Uh, anything you should add to your bio before we uh, introduce the other two panelists? That was great. Good morning. <laughs> and it's great that we've worked together on like trying to struggle through this whole set of questions. You know, what is the built environment? What does it look like? What's work going to look like? It's all going to be changing, that's for sure. And how are we going to solve that? And I think that's what we're going to talk about today. That's right, exactly. So welcome, Jacob. Uh, Rachel, it's exciting that we have a researcher among researchers. So Dr. Permeth, as we like to call her, uh, is Global VP for Research and Corporate Services. And she works with Sodexo in the Quality of Life Services. One of the things that I've, been, that I've admired about Rachel's work over the years and actually have been following the way that you look at the real day-to-day -day impact on in a very diverse cross-section of individuals and employees. What what is you know what is quality of life really about, and and why does it matter in the workplace? So Rachel, what should I have uh, added to your bio? I think you did a good job. It's great to collaborate again after I think seven years, Andrea. Um, That's and incredible. Can, yeah, it's, it's crazy, and we can talk much more about quality of life as we kind of move through the presentation and dialogue. Perfect. Good. Well, we'll look forward to it. And, and as I said, you know, the, the global study that, that Rachel's been spearheading has been a way that Sean and I sort of benchmark some of our thinking around some of these critical issues. So welcome, Rachel. And Bill, uh, gosh, when did we meet? Did we meet back at Autodesk when yeah, you were doing the be, genome? It's going to be like eight years ago around. Yeah, crazy. So um, one of the things that I think is great about Bill is he's uh, – 
not only got this technology side and, and works with Singularity University in this notion of really exponential change that's happening and how do you take all of the, the crazy disruption and all of the sort of bells and whistles of moonshots and bring it down to earth so that real people and real organizations, large companies and, and, and uh, scale-up companies can blitz scale. And it's all about being able to figure out how to galvanize some forces, have a different mindset. And uh, I love the fact that you've done more than 500 engagements in 55 countries. So woohoo! Yep. Um, Bill, anything I should have said about you other than what we just talked about? Uh, maybe one sentence. Um, my view on innovation is very practical. I really want to help people innovate. And I'd say I have the same view of future of work. I mean, like everyone else, I love talking about the big ideas, but I'm always wrestling with trying to bring future of work and make it something we can prepare for or try to shape. So I think I have a practical approach in both those realms. Well, that's great. And now I can share the results of this opening poll because this also takes the pulse of some of the people. So it's really interesting. This is so consistent that misalignment on priorities and a siloed mentality is the number one biggest challenge people are facing. And that is unbelievable because... Um, you know, you'd think that we would have made more progress than this. I think that it's really something we can all think about as we have this conversation. And then the notion of disengagement, the notion of lacking in skill sets, and the fear of failure are number twos. And so it's very important that as we have our conversation today, we understand that the community that's with us is, um, is feeling that it's misalignment on priorities and silo mentality. So, Sean, any thoughts on that before I launch into the, the panelists' thought thinking? Uh, and you might have to unmute. I just unmuted and or muted. So uh, I just I think this is probably going to be our most human discussion. Like this whole element of future of work would be so easy if it wasn't the human element, right? So I think uh, you're seeing that in misalignment and silos and this is my turf and not in my backyard type of uh, approach to the world. So, I, Well, I'm excited because it seems like we've got uh, a big, you know, when Bill talks about practical and, and sort of like the notion of future of work being practical, when Rachel talks about the, really this notion of the quality of life, which has a lot to do with not just things you can measure, but the intangibles. And when Jacob talks about the way that you think of a workplace and work life and, and what that really means, it's not just built environment and everybody gets to get rid of the cubicle and have open workspaces. I think we're, we're about to have some revolutionary talking. So I'm going to start with Jacob. And the way that we're going to do this is these are three thought leaders in what we would call like the three legs of a stool. So if we think of future of work with some foundational principles, there's a little bit of learning and discussing that we want to do just in terms of getting some basics um, all agreed to. So one of the things I'd love to do is Jacob has some slides that will bring us all onto the same kind of level playing field in terms of this new thinking. So tell us about common grounds. You know, there you were in a cushy job, I would assume, in these big corporate Im impressive real estate divisions. And it's like, oh, I think I'll do a startup. Um, what was that all about? And what is, why did you establish common grounds? What was it that you saw in the world that needed to be revolutionized? Ooh, that's a deep question. So uh, there's a lot of things. A big part of it was the future of work was impacting how people are working, where they're working and the tools that they were using, and it was impacting the workplace. And the workplace was not catching up to that need, and it's still very, very far behind. And so we saw an opportunity to improve upon that and improve people's work life 
with a goal to help them be productive both in work and in life. And so the workplace piece plays a very significant part of that. So we're looking to innovate upon that. And, and so tell us a little bit about, you know, this notion of workplace as a service, because everything's as a service. Last, actually, one of our webcasts was an as a service, the subscription mindset. And I said, you know, I am so sick of everything in my life, my music, my exercise, my friends, my health, everything's like a subscription to the point where, you know, why would there need to be a workplace as a service? Really, it's, it's encompassing all the components of the workplace and real estate. So a fragmented and there's a lot of friction in the industry today that doesn't allow for the pieces to play well together. So workplace as a service brings those all together in one nice little puzzle piece with hospitality services, uh, products, office products, and uh, property management brings it all together to complete a solution for talent. Well, it'll be great to bring Rachel in a little bit to talk about this as well, because there's this really great confluence in, the, in your two legs of that stool that, that you're talking about. Um, so just for the definitions again, um, so is this for startups? Is this for enterprise companies? We were talking about our enterprise companies and startups. Like, do people in different organizations need different workplace environments? They do. They definitely need different typologies of spaces to work from. And so the workplace has to evolve into having different typologies of spaces and, you know, flexible spaces, co-working started to serve different constituent groups, which were more startups and gig economy. And now it's serving much bigger groups like the Nikes, the Fortune 1500s of the world, uh, which employ a much uh, bigger population of the world. But those people want a creative, innovative workplace. They don't want this old, stingy, you know, open environment that's very traditional anymore. Okay, so you, you know that one of my favorite stories, and it was a company that will re remain nameless, I looked on someone's calendar, and it said WFC. And I thought, WFC, what is that? Okay, I know WFH is work from home. What is WFC? And it turns out that they had to work from their car because they couldn't find any place with privacy in their entire workplace, and they couldn't get their work done. And it literally said WFC. So WTF about WFC. Jacob, what's going on with that? And that, that's exactly the problem. We need to solve in the workplace to provide the opportunity for people to find quiet spaces, meditation spaces, touchdown spaces, collaboration spaces, team spaces. And so we're kind of going from a place where I used to have your assigned desk to where you have your workplace. Now we're in the future and we'll get into this. You're gonna have the whole building as your workplace. Well, let's just get into it. Uh, let's talk about your research because we're going to talk about Rachel's a little bit too. Um, what, where's, the, where's the facts behind what your thinking is and why haven't people figured this out yet? Well, a big part of this is a lot of people don't understand the flexible workplace market's been around since the 70s, but it's actually pretty small. It's about 2 to 3% of the actual office inventory. The projections, both our research and other research uh, firms are projecting that this will 10x in the next 10 years because of the way people are working and the technology that's driving the productivity towards a different type of work environment. But, so but why hasn't anybody that. caught up? I mean, why is it, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you're not a genius, you know, because we've already called you a visionary, but you know, why, why aren't other people getting the memo here? Well, you're dealing with a 50 to 70 year old product that is a very, a lot of fraction, a lot of fragmentation that is sitting there and friction that's not allowing it to evolve. Now, as we begin to evolve, as the demand, as talent begins to demand a different workplace, everything will have to evolve, everything from the owners of the assets to the banks that actually finance the assets. Got it. So there's an ecosystem and an infrastructure that's kind of sluggish because it's all interlocked and kind of stuck in a, in a, in a set of patterns that are hard to change? It's kind of like it's been a mob for the last 70 years, and we're kind of un untying that. 
Well, uh, speaking of, so give us just, you know, summarize this slide in a sentence or two. Well, this is very simple. You know, I think the way the, the world works is on the left, you know, you got to go sign a lease, you got to build out the space, it's going to cost you a lot of money, it's going to take forever, you're going to negotiate this, you know, 9800 page lease, you got to get architects, it's going to take you a year, maybe longer to do, or you could just go get space today and move it. That's it. really where we're heading for workplace as a service. Bada bing, bada boom, thank you for that, Jacob. So now let's go through to the next part, which is, you know, this notion of humanizing the workspace, oops, through the built environment, which is going too fast and animating in ways that I can't control. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Um, well, talk, talk to us, summarize this notion of what, what this activation means, because it's a really big idea. Yeah, so where we're at today is the, the traditional building, and now we've started to put co-working, a different type of product inside of the building, inside of a traditional asset. The future building is completely activated. It's activated with different office products, different hospitality services, different food and beverage and amenities. And it's programmed and curated to solve for the talent what they're demanding at the end of the day in the workplace. That's all activated and, and it's engaged and enabled by technology. So technology is not the driver, but it's definitely the enabler. And so as you walk into a building, a building would know who you are. It would, it would ask you if you want your coffee delivered to you, where you're going to sit that day, what type of space do you need to book for the day, and it's going to allow you to really interact with the entire building and not just your desk on floor nine working for Nike. So um, walk us through, and this is a slide that's not looking too good on my screen, unfortunately, but um, let's try, let's try this, uh, this notion. Let's start with a hackable environment. I'll just move right to that. I love this notion of a hackable built environment. So walk us through what that, what that really means. Yeah, absolutely. This is a much more sustainable solution. It's, it's very much removing the friction. And so as we think about the workplace and as the demand from the talent changes, the workplace also needs to evolve. And what's happened for the last 70 years is it can't evolve because it's fixed infrastructure and it's very costly to change that infrastructure. What we're looking at from a hackable environment, what we're building today with Common Grounds is the ability to change that environment overnight. And so we've had several examples where we've moved 22 walls overnight for a customer for little to no cost and change the built environment based on their talent, their customers, or their business needs. So, so lest we sound like we're doing a Common Grounds commercial, not that there's anything wrong with that. And also, we're not going to mention any of the other companies that have gone uh, a little bit out of favor recently in the uh, flexible workspace environment. Um, who do you admire in terms of large companies or scale-ups that are really thinking about this in a very cool way, of course, other than Common Grounds? You know, Nike, we did some innovative stuff. I think you're starting to see some of the Amazons and Googles of the world do some interesting things, uh, but they're still not there yet. I think that's where the, the future of work and the future of offices have to really come together, both with technology and that comes with physical technology. So we have to make the workplace physically adaptable to the needs of the talent and what they're going to demand now and in the future. And at the risk of sounding um, kind of tongue in cheek, I remember kind of kindergarten where, you know, sometimes you had like a little bin for your puzzles and you'd put it away and then you'd like roll out a big thing of brown paper to do math and then you put that away. There was kind of this sense of, of you know, it wasn't like you were always in one mood to, and always having one work environment. So are we going back to kindergarten to revolutionize the workplace? Well, it needs to be humanized. I think one of the things, if you look at zoos and what zoos did for the last 20 years was that zoos actually took the environment that the tiger lived in and, were in their natural habitat and brought it into the zoo rather than them sitting in a cage. And so what we need to do with the workplace is get out of our cages and actually humanize the workplace, make it human centric, and then create this hybrid mobility environment where cost and infrastructure are not a problem. If I need certain space, I can get that space on demand 
in real time for the needs that I'm trying to accomplish that day. Sounds amazing. So I'm going to now talk about some other research. Once again, this is a little bit of a learning day. And once we get these three pillars established, then we'll have some good back and forth and, and uh, throw the ball across the net a few times. So Rachel, tell us about the global study that you do um, through Sodexo. Sure, and this is like a perfect um, segue and an adjunct to what Jacob just spoke about. So we just put out this um, reimagining the employee experience study. We had about 3,500 um, respondents in over five countries. And what we wanted to understand is what um, people really expected or must have in their workplace, meaning services, and then what would just be a nice to have. So what would enhance? So we call them essentials and enhancers. Oh, thanks, Andy. <laughs> so, um, and if you think about the essentials, um, you know, for a lot of us who might have had, I, I would guess, a psychology 101, and you think of a hierarchy of needs, um, the most important human needs are at, at the base or at our foundation, which are the things we need to feel safe, secure. So the essentials ended up being things like cleaning, security, those, those things in like a yellowish green. Um, what you see at the front of the house, we call it front of the house, what services you see, like reception. Um, these are must-haves for any businesses. And what's unique to this study is we had a nice stratification across the five different um, you know, cohorts in the workforce, the, the different groups, Gen X, Millennials, etc. And their essentials were the same. Um, where you got a little bit of difference were the expectations for the workplace to have certain things. So let's go into the enhancers and those are in purple. So for a cafe or convenience store or those extra services like fitness center, it's the younger generations who really expect the workplace to have those, whereas Gen X and older, you know, we, I'll speak for myself as a Gen Xer, but we never, um, necessarily expected the workplace to be a place of fun or by default collaboration. So with the advent of these collaborative spaces, um, you're just seeing that as more of an expectation among the younger people. So I'm going to ask a question and then I'm actually going to get Sean ready to unmute to ask you a question as well because he's got the researcher mind. I know he's chomping at the bit to ask a question as well. So this is a little interesting because have we created a monster? In other words, <laughs> have we set up a, me that all the time? Yeah. yeah. You know, like we've created a monster where, you know, I, I remember my dad one day saying, you know, like you want to be fulfilled at work. What's that about? Right. I, it was literally a foreign concept. And yet partly I, you know, my take on it is partly I work 24 seven, so it might as well be my life. And uh, I know Jacob has a thought about that as well. Um, the, but you know, have we created a monster where people are expecting something that quote, shouldn't be expected from a job? Rachel, what do you think? So all I know is that the expectations of a worker are pretty much the same as expectations of the consumer in the real world. And that's what's going on in the younger generation. One of the most common questions that clients ask me is like, when is enough enough? Do we really need to have these extra services? You're going to start to see, in the US at least, um, more companies try to it perhaps get rid of subsidies for food. They will try to dial down a little bit on the free services. And, you know, that's, but you're not going to see that in the, in the West part of the U.S., in Silicon Valley tech, you're going to have all of this. But 
that's like a core existential question <laughs> that everyone's asking. Yeah. So, Sean, do you want to ask a question of Rachel before we move on to Bill? No, I'm fascinated on this pecking order of stuff. I'm, I'm remembering my own Procter & Gamble experience in terms of what tick boxes they might have had of this list of 22. Um, it's interesting. A lot of this stuff is focused around the, the big office or the head office that they have. I ran across a stat the other day, Rachel, which, which floored me as really high. They said something like 70% of the workforce will uh, either want to, or I guess the implication was they will work remotely at least more than five days a month by the year 2025, which, which may be bridging both you and Jacob's kind of discussion in terms of like, will improving these 22 things help at least mitigate some of that and keep people coming into the office? Or are there other strategies focused around remote work? And how do I keep that connection between company and remote worker in place um, as an essential or enhancer? Oh my goodness, that's a hard question. I, you know, I do see more people going remotely, but then again, I see um, a lot of companies requiring their people to come back at least one or two days or having meetings virtually where in the past it wasn't necessary per se that we're on video or that there was a certain, you know, if, if we're collaborating via, via WebEx, um, that the collaboration was really worked out. I don't have a good answer for you yet. Um, I'm intrigued to see what's gonna happen, but a lot of you know, our companies that we have manufacturing um, in particular, they're not gonna work remotely. So you're gonna see a lot of, um, I guess there's a lot of tension there between of course people who work from home and people who don't and the amenities that come to them. So that, I, I think that tension is something that we have to deal with um, first and foremost. So I'll jump in and suggest that everybody download this. It's a commercial. I really do think that it's really interesting thinking and the, the link down at the bottom. And of course, when you see this afterwards, you can, you can uh, copy paste that. Um, and so that's the second pillar is this notion of this quality of life and, and, and this it's a kind of an add on from an activated building. I think it's really interesting to think of the built environment and then what people's expectations are in terms of creature comforts that are required now in terms of the mindset. So, Bill, um, we, I love the fact that, thank you, is this being premiered today for this webcast? This is a world premiere. It's a world premiere. So, once again, drum roll. Of a barely designed slide. Yes. That will make look better at some point. Well, walk us through this because I really do. I love what you said earlier about the fact that you know you take these. You're 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 comfortable in three areas as as far as I. I mean, probably many more, but I see you as you know really deep understanding of technology in the future and this even the exponential stuff that scares most of us to death, but also really grounded in the practical. And and so first, walk us through this, and then I'm really interested in you saying you know. Here's where I've seen it working, this, this whole model, the five yeah, essential. Well, so I'll, walk I'll, us through. I'll it, yeah, I'll give a sense. Um, so this is, and, and thank you for the opportunity to put this all together, because this is what I've had in my head, right? So at a very top level, I've worked with you know, all these different companies around the world on innovation. I'll give you the example. If I'm working with a, I'm laughing, because um, this world where innovation and future of work intersects is hilarious a lot of the time, right? If I'm helping a gigantic bank or a tech company or whatever, trying to figure out, for example, like what's going to be innovative three to five years from now. And if you have to figure out, well, wait a minute, that thing, which is a little based on AI, is that going to be innovative a year from now? Because it's all contextual. I, these are the five things that I think you have to keep in mind in order to determine if something is innovative, right? 
So should I just take you through the phases? Yeah, right? take us through the phases because once again, it's a little learning from Jacob, a little learning from Rachel, yeah. a little learning from you, and then we'll have the, the back and forth. Yeah, and this is also, so I've been on the faculty of Singularity University about two years now, right? So, you know, kind of like most of the people on the call live kind of in the future. So the first thing, um, so again, I'm doing this from the standpoint of innovation and future of work. So the first thing to me is, yeah, the emerging technologies, AI, XR, blockchain, et cetera, et cetera, right? That is the first level. And so that is what a lot of gigantic companies, the companies I work with, the sweet spot is probably 10 to 20 billion, right? So the other hilarious thing is these people have immense resources. And I'm always exhorting them to put more of those resources into the future instead of milking the current cash cow, which is fine. Um, so the first level is emerging technologies. Yes, you have to know the specifics. But most companies don't, are not very good at going to the second level, converging technologies. And I've, I've said this for years. It, it, the way the world changes is not just AI, but the way the world changes is when AI interacts with AR, VR, and that interacts with smart everything. When, when things come together, if you look at the history of innovation, converging technologies, that's really how the world changes. And that is a higher or, order of complexity. That's why it's harder for people to think about. You go into a corporate place and everyone has their, hi, this nice to meet you. Here's our head of innovation. He or she's running an IoT pro, uh, you know, project. Good. But how does that intersect? So that's converging. Then, of course, that doesn't matter until you get to the third one, which is new ways to do timeless things, right? When I think 5, 10, 15 years, selling, researching, creating, there are perennial, at least for now, timeless things we do in the workplace. And these emerging and converging technologies will influence that, right? So you have to get to that point. It's like it's not just about playing with the toys. How do the toys converge? And then how do the toys change the way we're going to do timeless things, right? And then, of course, there's a fourth one, which is entirely new ways to work. And this is the most fun for me. I love the idea, like blockchain, peopleless companies. <laughs> when I first, I'm in my 50s. When I first heard that, I was like, what the, what the hell is that? You know? But that's something that's a new way to work, not just a new way to do something timeless, right? You know, AI doing strategy, you know, um, uh, you know um, XR universes. So the fourth level for me is new ways to work that we don't even know about right and then the fourth one i've sort of coined a term here the great unknownables right it sounds like a jk rowling thing right <laughs> it's a little harry potter so an unknownable um uh to me this is the other thing you have to have great hubris and also great humility to play in this realm but it's so useful to say all right good emerging technologies then converging changing the way we do things that we know new things and then finally what do we not know you know, yeah. and, and well, I think that's there be dragons. So to me, and what I, what I like about time things like this is this framework is, is going to work in 2020. This will probably work in 2025 too. Because yeah. what's emerging, you know what I mean? This is a moving, it's a movable feast. This is a rolling thing. So I'll stop there. So I'm going to let Rachel, I'm going to let Rachel and Jacob weigh in on this particular slide, I'll, but I'll give them a second to get their thoughts ready. I'll give a story. I remember we, we I've, I've been so lucky to do these, you know, projects with like very um, big worlds like uh, the future of healthcare. And right as the architects are designing these huge doors for this amazing MRI machine that's going to wheel through, et cetera, somebody invents the miniaturized MRI or the MRI that's on your phone, right? Yes. And so here we are designing an entire built environment for a future that's not really going to look like that. So yeah. I, I love the idea of thinking ahead. So let me let Rachel jump in first with this drawing, um, you know, with this chart. What are your thoughts about that? 
I'll, you know, so Andrew, when we talked before, you know, I'm probably going to jump on number three. So I love the notion of new ways to do timeless things, particularly. So these are all processes, right? And what we don't and haven't really considered in the workplace is there are many disincentives for people working this way. So let's just take collaboration. Um, particularly in the West, Western culture, we're not necessarily incentivized to collaborate. So it's a very foreign behavior to most of us. So as companies have built all these spaces and they wonder why people aren't necessarily talking to each other, there are reasons for this. And so if you think about them, collaboration um, takes more time. It takes more resources. Oftentimes the leadership is not delineated or clear. Oftentimes the outcomes of the work aren't clear. So there's so much ambiguity. So I, I, what I like about number three is I think, you know, if we can create more structure about how to create successful collaborations, how do you strategize well, to what end? Um, we need to really work on the processes themselves to make them successful because hu as humans, our allegiance is to ourself first, right? Not to a group per se, unless that group is our family, but it's to ourselves, um, to our bosses, then to the bigger collective. So um, with a nod to human behavior, I think we can do some, some good things in the future. So now let's let Jacob uh, talk a little bit about this. Just, you know, what, what floats your boat in, in terms of uh, which number on this, on this chart? Yeah, definitely by three and four, uh, and Tyler, new ways to work. I think those two a little bit go into the collaboration as well. And what we're finding, especially in the spaces we're building, is collaboration is huge. And we, we look at what's happening with the future work and what's, what people are doing. And, you know, I think Rachel spoke earlier about how there's this, been this tug of war between the employer and the employee working from home. The solution is now becoming some flexible workplace. It's a third place where people are going to work. And they're finding all these amenities and they're finding the ability to collaborate. And as technology begins to automate anything that can and will be automated, will be, technology will do it. Humans need to now learn how to collaborate and innovate, use their, their hearts, their minds to become the, the, the collaboration and how we're going to innovate and go forward in the future when machines are going to do anything that can, can and will be automated, will be automated. So I'm going to let, uh, once again, give Sean a minute to gather a thought because I would love for Sean in a minute to share something from our perspective in terms of who's, who's approaching this well in terms of the work, you know, this, this new thinking about the workplace and the new thinking about um, sort of, you know, the, the quality of the work environment. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump into that. But I remember uh, one of my favorite words is skewmorph. And it's always hilarious when I'm with a six-year-old, it's usually a six-year-old, who looks on my screen and, you know, I, I'm in love with Microsoft, people know this, so I'll have like, you know, a Microsoft something with like a little folder. And a six-year-old has no idea what the original folder was. Like they've never seen a folder. They think that the thing on the screen is the, is the thing. They don't understand that it's a visual representation of something that doesn't exist anymore. And it strikes me that a lot of the places where, you know, where Sean and I end up working in terms of corporate innovators and people who are trying to, you know, future-proof themselves, they still use an old model of what they're trying to make better. So it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, we were talking the other day about zero inventory. You know, if you're, if you've got AI doing all of your inventory management, you're not going to have a big warehouse because you're going to know so perfectly what your consumers want that you don't have to warehouse 50,000 versions of the wrong color shoe 
when the styles change. And so all of the planning that you started doing with how big you can make your warehouse might be completely irrelevant. And, and so we're, we're completely seeing this right now where people like Jacob, Rachel, Bill, Sean, Andrea, we help people zoom out and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, do you have some file folder picture that no one knows what the original file folder was anymore? So, Sean, what are some thoughts that you'd like to bring in practically from what we've been seeing either in our research or with clients that we've looked at? Yeah, I guess a couple of things. I just did to, to pay credence to Bill's model here. I love, um, yeah, and, and I'll, I'll mention, uh, unfortunately, a really good friend of mine, but he's a CIO, and he was trying to explain to somebody else as I was watching him explain what AI is. And it's like, AI, AI is just simply predicting things. And I'm like, there's so much more to it. There's so much more to it than that. And so I like the fact that you've taken the, uh, what is the application, but also what the, what's the configuration of technology? Cause I think people just keep it at that low level lens of, well, AI and we'll, we'll invest in some AI stuff. Right. So, um, two local examples, I'll provide some Toronto examples, which is where I hail from, uh, one is a company called Click Health, which um, not too sure if you've run across in your travels, but they measure everything inside the four walls of their, I guess I'll call them a service firm. And so this whole notion, as Jacob was talking about, about being able to measure things uh, in terms of what people do and how they perform in the work environment is a really extraordinarily interesting space to the point where I think HBR this month has a really interesting article about some of the unintended consequences of setting up a workspace one way with the hope for consequence, but really in actuality, humans are weird little beasts that do something different. So um, I thought that was one. And I worked for a large incubator in Canada called Mars um, Discovery District. And so they're doing some interesting things around kind of the global uh, kind of innovation centers of excellence and how do you produce better ones that create actual results? And so, you know, how would you construct an environment that is a centralized center of expertise that becomes less of a figurehead space? So those are two, but I think a research study is hopefully going to tease a lot more of those out, Andrea. I'm excited about that, actually. And um, once again, I always love to look at where the gaffer's tape is. You know, when someone's got a workaround or something pasted up or something that's not working, it's an early sign of, of something that needs to change in work environment. I mean, as I said, working from car is my favorite. You know, it's like, really? Couldn't we have some way of accommodating people for, for a private conversation? So I think, I think that those are early signs of, of unmet human needs, to Rachel's point. Okay, so this is the dark moment. Everybody can take your uh, microphones on, please, because uh, you can just jab at one of these things and, and argue on behalf of it. Uh, these are the dualities. Does tech make work better? Does tech dehumanize the workplace? Uh, we were talking yesterday about, you know, it's a breath mint, it's a candy mint, it's two mints in one. So uh, collaboration's great, collaboration's messy. We should be open for business 24-7. Work-life balance is golden for employees. So who wants to pick, uh, just you know, grab the number and uh, call it out and then argue on behalf of it? Bill, what's your number? Um, I, I, I'm in, I mean, 1B is interesting. Tech dehumanizes the workplace. Um, I mean, that's interesting because I think that is both true and false, right, as most interesting questions are. Um, I think it, uh, I would say it rehumanizes re right um mm. in the sense that it change it just changes things dehumanizing means it's inherently negative like oh that's terrible it's inhuman right 
So to me, actually, what I like about that one is that's still in our control to a degree, you know? Um, so I think that's, and look, this is why I like Elon Musk running around setting up AI nonprofits to make AI ethical, right? I mean, uh, you know, this begs the question in some of my other talks, I say the future of, of work and AI, it's going to be Star Trek or the Matrix, right? <laughs> I don't think there's much in between, maybe. It's going to be great. Like it's going to be, you know, Captain Kirk and Spock use technology is going to be like the Matrix, right? So what I like about 1B is, I don't know, I think it's true and false, but more importantly, moving forward, I think we really have to think about the effect that tech has on the, the, the human feeling and experience. So that's, that's a nice hinge question. Okay, great. So Jacob, argue on uh, about everything except 1B. <laughs> uh, not a surprise, but I'm going to go with 3B. Uh, so yes. work-life balance is golden for employees. I think it's actually more the holy grail for employees. And you know, I think businesses could be open 24-7, but we have to provide a means for employees to find flexibility and to be productive in the workplace. And so we were talking earlier about how we measure things in the workplace. And I, I'm one of those that built thousands of workplaces and the humans never use them the way you actually built them and intended them <laughs> to use them. And so what we have to find is how can we find the friction points in the workplace, in the environments when people are coming to the workplace every day and how do we measure those or identify those friction points. And if we identify and remove them and solve towards them, ideally we're increasing productivity both in work and in life for employees. I can tell you work-life balance for an employee, they're gonna be productive and happy. And it starts at the top, you have to demonstrate that and work its way down. Uh, but businesses can be open 24 seven and have both, but if you don't have a happy work-life employees, they're not gonna be productive, they're not gonna drive innovation, they're not gonna drive productivity towards successful businesses. Well, it's funny because I, I remember years ago, someone teaching me the difference between user-friendly and intuitive. And things that if I have to say, you're not doing that right, you're supposed to use the staircase this way, or that's not how you're supposed to, then, then by definition, you know, the, the, uh, the design is probably not, you know, not fully meeting the, the underlying need. And uh, a lot of times engineers, not that I want to go down on uh, neg be negatively around that, but you know, that's not how you should use it is, is sometimes not the best approach to uh, built environment. So Rachel, pick one and argue on behalf of it. Okay, I think I've got one left. So I already talked about um, collaboration as messy, but I do think collaboration can be great. What I haven't seen often in organizations is um, some sort of leadership or training as to like, how do you have a successful collaboration? Because there are definitely component parts to how, to how you do that. And I can send, um, you know, as a follow-up, just very different ways of ensuring that your collaboration is great. So, you know, one is like, is the structure of your collaboration in place? Do you have the right people? Are their roles delineated? Who's leading? And then you get more into process. So you've got structure, you've got process, you've got outcomes. And in the process, it's really like, what are your objectives? Are you meeting them at a reasonable pace? Are they agreed upon? And then you've got the outcomes. So one of the best collaborations um, I've had as a researcher with Sodexo is our collaboration with Harvard University on a study we're working on on frontline food service worker health. And what we did at the beginning is we had a very transparent discussion as to what outcomes we wanted and how those would manifest itself. So in an academic sense, um, Harvard would want publications or they'd want to share the data you know, but from a private industry stance like Sodexo, I want something that I can scale and offer to other employees. So 
So just having those transparent, I guess, outcomes-based discussions is critical for collaboration to work. Well, I'm going to go to pick one myself here. Okay, I'm just going to pick number uh, five because I think that this is where I'd love to have a debate about what, you know, what is going on? Why are people working from their cars? Why are people, you know, putting up um, privacy screens? Uh, why are people wearing hats to tell people that they don't want to be disturbed or all this headset thing that we're doing? Um, what's, what's, what is the future of the, of, of the actual built environment going to look like five years from now? What, you know, what are some thoughts about that? I'm going to make Jacob go first. Oh, well, we'll let Bill go first. Yeah, that's right. Jacob yeah. will do, do the wrap-up. Yeah. To me, the simple answer, is, I think it's a simple answer, is um, AR, VR, XR. Like, that name changes every 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. I've started to use, you know, I've just started to use XR, just extended reality, right? Um, I think increasingly, I mean, this is disturbing for someone. Most of us love our phone. Now it's like this. We're looking at the phone, you know, God save Google Glass, it was such a terrible design. But eventually when it comes up here, when the augmented and enhanced world comes here, um, I think that's where, I, you know, that's where I tell my clients things are going at whatever pace. You gotta really be smart about when that will land. But to me, it's, it, it's almost irrelevant. Am I gonna be in my car? Am I walking through the woods? Am I in an office or at my home? If the work is essentially sort of up here, and you know, it's, we're all going to look like idiots for a while. Like in, in, in San Francisco, every third person's walking around the street like this. It's soon it's going to look like this. I don't know if you can see me. Like, Bob, let me move that document over there. And, and let's do it like this. You know, I, I'm from Autodesk. So nerds are going to be like, let's move the sprocket over here. Like this is, you know, it's going to be like breakdance. Minority right? report. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. So I think my sense is, uh, actually, I'm saying this in the middle of like a redwood forest. Like, I think my thought's always been as the work sort of moves to just in your head in a way, people will work in, in like beautiful places where they feel comfortable, which gets back to this idea like Rachel and, and Jacob are talking about like, uh, quality of life type stuff. So my short right. answer is the work will get even more mobile. Okay. So I'll say one quick thing and then I'll let it go to uh, Jacob and we'll skip Rachel on the follow up here and we'll get grab her on the next slide. Um, we don't hate you because you live in the middle of a redwood forest. I, I, just, wanted, I just wanted to go on record as saying that, Bill. But I congratulations. About, I was not saying it as a prestige thing. <laughs> I, it, I'm like in the middle of a tinderbox here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry I about that. If I catch fire during this call, just you know, send the authorities. <laughs> really? Okay. So, Jacob, your thoughts uh, on, on what's going to look like in five years? I don't disagree too far with Bill. I think the workplace will still have its place, but it will definitely be much more distributed. And so I think that the notion of building these Googleplexes and these you know, Amazon, amazing Amazon campuses, those might still exist at a headquarters, but most companies are gonna begin to distribute the workforce, whether that's work from home or finding a place for employees to go and collaborate and have the resources and amenities that they need to have the work-life balance. I have this notion that there actually doesn't need to be another square foot of office built on the face of the planet ever again, ever. And we just actually have to use the existing square foot and the footprint that's built today differently and more efficiently. Oh, well, that is visionary. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, that's great to hear. Um, Rachel, you're going to be the first up on this slide. Mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's pulling you on this slide? What, which, which statement is something that you really want to speak sure. to? Sure. Um, I would say 8B. So leaders creating psychological safety for the innovators. That's a tall order for people who aren't naturally like 
I guess, well-versed in behavioral science or human needs, you know, I don't think leaders naturally understand um, their workforce. So this may take a different approach um, in training, kind of training the leaders or training organizations to create a culture that's safe. And what does that mean? So we still have a, a deep lacking of understanding of people's fundamental needs at work, right? So, and what motivates us? And those vary, those vary across different people, different industries, different geographies, different cultures. So, you know, I think we're gonna have to see a lot more beha human behavior theory, psychology in the workplace. And this may mean new people come in to take those roles and help leaders facilitate those environments. Um, but boy, would it be amazing to have some psychological safety um, for innovators, yes, across the board. Well, once again, this is the conversation that could last overnight, bringing a futon and we could camp out on it. So we're, we're not gonna have time to talk about as many things as we might like to on this particular page. But I do think that um, there are some things, and I'm gonna go back to Sean in a minute too. Um, I'd love for people to just take a stab at any of the topics to say one quick thing um, before we do your, your, final, your final pithy statement. So um, one quick thing. So Bill, I'm gonna do Bill, Rachel, yeah. Jacob, and Sean. Yeah. Yeah, the top one, tech, how to apply without showing the human side of work. My, my model, and again, I think this is a model that could roll through time is basically, when a technology first comes out, you could say it augments humans, right? Like the internet has augmented my research, right? So it, it's augmentation, then it becomes automation, right? That's like the great role of history to some degree. Some things, uh, something augments something that humans still do, and then it gets uh, uh, automated. So I think that if you keep that in mind, this, my short answer to number one is, if we can get people more into a retraining, lifelong learning, you know, unlearning, relearning, et cetera mode, and keep in mind that whatever you're doing, it, 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 tech will, it, most of it will be augmenting it to some degree. And for a lot of it, maybe not all of that stuff, it'll be then automating. Those two A words are a way to keep ahead of the career curve. And you're never in this horrible position where you're like, oh, a machine, a brilliant machine took my job. So I yeah. would say, how do you do without destroying the human side? Realize that most things over time are augmented at first, then they're automated and stay ahead of that curve. Great. Rachel, what, what, what's your final think on uh, thinking thing, on this. Yeah. So with D, quality of life and quality of work, you know, the thing about quality of life is that there's a concept called the spillover effect that the quality of life and quality of work blend and spill over into one each other, you know, one or the other. So they're hard to parse apart. So as we come into an age where people are more socially conscious, um, especially the younger generations, that's a fundamental part of what organizations are. They want to be known for their ability to help um, with corporate social responsibility. So you're going to get to see a lot of people's needs become more fulfilled in the workplace as, you know, as organizations take that stance, that volunteerism, diversity, inclusion, um, sustainability are, are fundamental to what they do because they're key of importance to the individuals as well. Well, and it's interesting, Rachel, because that sort of comes full circle around what we were talking about before. It used to be competitive advantage to be like the best conveyor belt in the world. I'm making that up, but you know, like years and years ago. But now if the war is for talent, and if what we're talking about is like all these amazing people that can have a choice of going anywhere, 
despite the fact that some, you know, some countries put up walls. Um, but, you know, you could work anywhere and you can be anywhere and you can pick the culture where you'd like to be. If, if, if you're going to compete based on cool talent, um, you're going to be behind the eight ball in terms of having to do this. It's not just lip service to these things. I think that's, that's my big takeaway from, from some of the themes today. It's really quite interesting because you'll be behind if you don't do this as opposed to nice to haves. I think that's super interesting. Uh, Jacob, what's, what's your, uh, your, your uh, final topic that you'd like to bring to us? So I think the space is where we work. I think there's always been this notion, you know, open plan was a financial exercise. It actually wasn't a collaboration exercise. You know, I sat in the seats of heads of real estate and it, it was a financial exercise. Let's just admit it to the world, although we just for some reason won't do that. But so what, as you think about that, and I think a lot of leaders think, oh, I'll give them ping pong tables and I'll give them meditation rooms and nap rooms and billiards rooms and game rooms. And that's not what they want. That's not productivity. And so you know, I was recently talking to someone, I said, well, we're going to build a game room. I, why? Well, that's what they want, right? They're millennials. Did you talk to them? Did you ask them what they wanted? I think if you go actually talk to them and think about the work that they're doing there during the day, they're going to tell you, I need some private space. I need some quiet space. I need some nice collaboration space that's, you know, technology enabled. And it's, it's got all the things I need to have a productive meeting. I need to be able to activate building and I need some food and beverage. I need to have some work-life balance brought into the space or, or the ability to have a flexible schedule in a space that interacts and enables that. And so really you have to sit down and talk to them. You have to do it frequently because the work is changing frequently. Technology is enabling it and changing it frequently. And therefore the space, the physical built environment needs to adapt and evolve with it. And so Great. to just take this notion that, you know, we want ping pong tables or open plan is, it's just a, it's a misnomer. So I'll let everybody say one last thing. Um, Sean, while we're doing this next poll, I wonder if you have any thoughts or observations about, um, and hopefully everyone will put the poll up now. Um, Sean, what about, what, what observations do you have? Well, I'm struck as we, we get into this uh, discussion, and we've had two now, that um, I'll take it to a societal level and I go, wow, you know what? The future of work is going to be so interesting for a group of people. But much like our biggest trend in our other study, the biggest meta trend in the world right now is polarization. And I think the future of work, it's going to be great for people that know tech and are educated and live in urbanized environments. I guess one of the fears, and I think Bill might have brought it up earlier, was just, you know, how do we make sure that people just don't fall behind? Because in this world, it, it feels like you can fall behind very, very easily. If I'm a truck driver, if I work in retail, maybe actually in this case, there's a lot of white collar jobs like lawyers and accountants. Uh, how do we make sure we can reskill them? They can work in environments where they can you know, apply their new trade. That, that seems to be one of my observations from our two hours. Well, I would love to hear one quick thing from, uh, this was an amazing group. First of all, like the, the learning was great. The conversation was great. I learned a ton. And what I know we, from our community is that everybody, and I'm looking a little bit at the comments, and Sean, maybe you can see if there's any comments or questions as well, but people always like, like who's doing it well, you know, something very specific to get down from the clouds. So anything that you observe that, that you know, of people do really doing it well or, or something very tangible so we can go, oh, why don't you take a double click and look at XYZ company as an example. So I'll go Bill, Rachel, Jacob. So Bill, who's doing uh, it well? Who's First doing off, it well? And by doing it well, you mean... Um, Thinking ahead, future-proofing with the right mindset. Yeah, I mean, one company I've worked with is Airbnb. Um, you know, uh, I think um, 
I know a bunch of people there. I think they're doing it well because, I mean, my God, they offered the first rent any room on the planet. And then it's like, they're going to be a one trick pony. Then they did this experiences thing, right? So that's a rare thing for a gigantic industry creating realm to do it. So Airbnb, I think they're looking ahead and realizing you've always got to keep evolving. And I think they have a decent shot of doing it. Great. Rachel, pithy and quick. Who's doing it well? Well, I'm biased, but Sodexo is doing it quite well in terms of diversity and inclusion. They really encourage you to bring your whole self to work. Um, so for them, that aspect. And then the other, Unilever has done some great things with space, design, taking into account people's needs. Um, they have some really neat, just their offices are very neat and they are fit to purpose. Perfect. And then Jacob, close us yep. out for the panel yep. and then we'll have a little bit with uh, Sean and Andrea at the very end. For me, I see a lot of different companies in their spaces. One that really stands out for me is Slack. And so if you go to their headquarters at Slack, you know, their head of real estate, you know, he's, he's actually very much a creative and innovative person thinking about the built environment to the point where they even think about the, the curved walls on a corner because a, a, a 90 degree or angle on a corner actually creates this friction inside of us as a human that I don't, can't really see what's on the other side of that as I turn this corner or a curved wall actually helps remove some of that friction and that nervousness or anxiety and to the point that they're thinking about those types of things in their built environment, it's much more about thinking about how to be productive and help their people rather than focus on this, this whole notion of let's save money all the time uh, rather than productivity. Well, I have got to say thank you to the, all the panelists. This was awesome. This was just a really interesting conversation. And um, Sean and I are going to wrap, every, wrap the, uh, the, the formal conversation. But thanks to all the panelists. This was super. Thank you. It was great. Okay, so Sean, um, they're gonna we'll we'll stay live for a little bit. What are your thoughts about this poll? Uh, looks like we got some uh, reinforcement of our first round that people want to know about meaning and purpose and uh, and how it relates to the future work as as number one and leadership. Which I guess as a transition, this slide we've actually done a little bit of work and That's actually right. we've kind of ranked the top. We looked at the top twenty one and we've ranked the top seven. So um, yeah, that could be something that we do as a full on leadership in a future of work phase. Um, quickly on this one, our next webinar, we're actually ambitious enough to be the Shorty Awards of Future Sorry, Proof. hold on. Sorry. Uh -huh. I'll, I'll talk faster because the slides no, are going so No, no, that's right? okay. <laughs> no, it was my mistake. Sorry. Um, we're going to uh, attempt to uh, at least uh, get our nominees going for the Future Proofing Awards. And so uh, we want to recognize the people that are doing the best. And so part of your questioning, I think a minute ago, might have been angling at who our nominees might be. Yeah, I, I think that we can start uh, stuffing the 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 uh, the, the poll uh, the 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 uh, voting booth right now, you know, so that you can get your votes in. I'm excited actually because this is all about community, and every time we have panelists, it reminds me of how many great things are going on all over the world. And uh, also, we're excited about this, Sean. Why don't you announce what we're up to? We're writing a book. We're having a baby. Um, we should have flamingos on a front lawn or something. But um, just uh, selfish, shameless self promotion. But Myself and Andrea were book authors uh, writing books at the same time at McGraw-Hill eight years ago, and we met through that, and so it's a natural consequence of that, of course, we'd have to write a book together, but it is a, uh, an argument, it's a set of tools, a vault of profiles and case studies, and hopefully a field guide for what really works out there in the real world. That's great, and also uh, we'll be having the launch of that in December and January, and we have another webinar coming up, uh, but we're excited that today we had such a great conversation on this notion of future of work. It's uh, 
been something that has been troubling me because I, I think that people are getting it wrong a lot. So I was really encouraged to hear that there are a lot of people getting it right. So with that, we'll close off for, for now and we, uh, we end the webinar and we thank everyone for being part of this. It was super. And one of the things that we'd like to do is write a blog about this. There were some questions coming in from the audience. George kept raising his hand and we just kind of couldn't quite get to it. There were a couple of questions that came in beforehand. So we do make a pledge that we'll do a blog post and, and hopefully Jacob and Rachel and Bill, if you've got some great juicy quotes for us for that, that would be really valuable for us and for the community. Okay, and that, with that, um, we'll see you next, next webcast. Thanks guys. Future-proof well. Bye-bye. Bye now. See you later, bye-bye.